Preschoolers, you are dismissed to go to the preschool class, those that are going, and everyone else, I encourage you to open up to Romans chapter 15, if you can believe it. We are in Romans 15, nearing the end of uh, preaching through the book of Romans. And as you are turning to Romans 15, I wonder, have you ever been invited to a party or a get-together uh, where the host thought it would be a good idea to invite friends and family from all their different circles in life. Have you been to one of these? Whether it's a graduation open house or a birthday or something like that, this person thought, you know what would be fun? I'll invite a bunch of people who don't know each other from the past, who will probably never see each other in the future, and we'll just put them in a room together for a few hours to casually mingle and we'll just see what happens. We'll just see what happens. Uh, now, I don't know about you, but the way I feel sometimes is like, I mean, I don't know. Aren't those kind of the worst? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I don't really mean worst, but I mean, I'm still up for going to these things. You can still invite our family to these things, okay? But these can be difficult and awkward at first, can't they? I mean, someone invites their extended family, they invite their friends from college, they invite their friends from church, they invite their friends from their past church, they invite their work friends, they invite their childhood friends, they invite their softball team. It's a very interesting, well-connected person that is inviting you, and none of these different groups of people have anything in common. They have no shared experience or similar interests, but they are now all here, and they are supposed to party and celebrate with one another. But no one really knows where everyone is at on things, and so you try to feel each other out, especially now that there are so many topics that seem really touchy or just could be controversial. You don't know what you can talk about or bring up, and so you try to ease your way into conversations, you know. But honestly, these are difficult and awkward at first. And so I will often in these times be thinking to myself, hey, this is a lot of social and relational work amongst people I have never seen and I might not ever see again. Is this worth it? Is it worth it? And maybe that's a question that you have been asking yourself as we've been preaching through Romans 14, and we've been considering all these matters of conscience and all these differing opinions that can exist amongst the body of Christ. We've been learning how to love those who differ with us over matters of opinion. We've been learning how to walk with those with a weaker conscience on some issues and fellowship with those with a stronger conscience on some issues. And admittedly, that can be difficult. And so maybe you arrive here this morning asking the question, is it worth it? Wouldn't it just be easier to surround myself with a church and a group of friends who agreed with me on every secondary and tertiary doctrine? If you're like me, you arrive at Romans 15 wondering, is it worth it? And as way of reminder for where we are at in Romans, Paul, he has been encouraging the church in Rome to genuinely love one another, 
And this started back in Romans 12. He's been encouraging us to genuinely love one another. And then in Romans 14, he starts teaching the church how to love one another and how to walk with one another who differ over opinions and matters of conscience. And so he's not talking here about core Christian doctrine that, are, that every Christian really must believe to be a Christian. He's not talking about what the Bible clearly calls out as sin or what the Bible clearly forbids or commands. But he's, he's touching on kind of these, these gray areas, these areas where, where it is a matter of conscience. And he's addressing a specific problem in Rome. Some of the believers in Rome had a weak conscience or a weak faith in, re, in regard to what they thought they could eat or drink because of its unclean past. And while our consciences in our context might not struggle with the issue of eating meat sacrificed to idols, in our context, when we talk about matters of conscience, we're talking about things like how to best educate kids and what style of music we use in worship. And I've, I've given this list a couple times, but I'll do it one last time. How, how to spend our time on Sundays, what entertainment to consume, how much entertainment to consume whether or not cosmetics and jewelry should be worn, whether or not jeans and shorts should be worn. Should we play sports? Should we watch sports? Which sports? Can we drink alcohol in moderation? How much sugar or caffeine should we consume? Should we eat fast food or drink soda? Should a Christian get piercings, tattoos, or body art? Our eschatology, how we believe the events of the last days will play out. Dancing, vaccines, the chosen, our preferred English translation of the Bible, video games, smartphones, whether or not to celebrate holidays, what music we should listen to, how do we best honor our parents in their old age, and is it okay to take on debt? To name a few. To name a few. And we've already learned in Romans 14 that we honor the Lord and love one another by not quarreling and by not condemning one another over matters of conscience. We've already learned that those with a strong conscience on an issue and what that means is they, 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 these are people who feel free in Christ to partake in something that Scripture does not forbid. Those with a strong conscience, they are instructed to not despise those with a weaker conscience. And those with a weaker conscience on an issue, meaning those who are trying to honor the Lord by abstaining from something, their, their conscience is, is much more sensitive on a certain issue. Those with a weaker conscience, they're instructed to not judge or condemn those with a stronger conscience. And now this week, after having acknowledged all these differing opinions over non-essential doctrines, we could be prone to despair and wonder if there's any hope that this could work out. <laughs> Is there hope for us to actually enjoy and experience Christian unity and live in harmony with one another? Is there, is there hope for harmony? That's what we got to talk about this morning. That's the title of this morning's sermon, Hope for Harmony. We're going to ask, is there, do we have hope for this? We're also going to consider the question, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Can all these different people with different pasts, different families, different upbringings, can all these different people actually come together and feast and celebrate together? Can that actually happen? <laughs> is there hope for living in harmony with one another, and is it worth it? So let's pray and let's ask uh, the Lord. For those of us that need to 
We don't quite have that answer right away like Pastor Gary does. We need to think about it for a few, few more minutes. Let's pray. Let's ask for the Lord to help. Father, we do ask for your help. Oh, Lord, this is your word. These are your people. May you feed us and nourish us this morning with your truth. May you help me, Lord, clearly articulate what your word says. May we be faithful to this text. Lord, would you give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, hearts that would believe and trust what you have to say to us this morning. Holy Spirit, would you move and work? Oh, Lord, give us hope. Give us hope that we can enjoy and experience living in harmony with one another. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. He's continuing here an encouragement towards those who have a strong conscience on a certain issue. And he puts himself in this category as well. He says, we who are strong, right? We who have a strong conscience or a strong faith in regards to some of these issues. He says, we who are strong, he says, don't despise your brother or sister who has a weaker or more sensitive conscience, but instead you have an obligation towards them. You have an obligation. You owe them something. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that we are all to owe one another something, and that is we are to to owe love to one another. But here we see that the strong have something else that they owe and are obligated to do towards the weak. And that is that they are to bear with the weak. They don't necessarily always have to agree with the weak, but they have to bear with them. You don't always have to agree with everyone in your city group and what they say or what they share. Did you know that? But you do have to bear with them. The strong are not to be annoyed with the weak in conscience. They are not to just put up with the weak, but they are to bear with them. To bear with someone's weak conscience means that out of love for them, you will at times show restraint in the exercise of your Christian liberty and not throw it in their face. To bear with someone's weak conscience means that you will not always immediately correct them and embarrass them and jump on them in an attempt to show that you are right and they are wrong. To bear with someone's weak conscience means that you will patiently help them train their conscience as we slowly over time are having our consciences trained to align more and more to the will of God. We covered this in weeks past, that none of our consciences are perfectly aligned with the will of God. They're not. They need to be trained. That happens by the power of the Spirit. That happens by the truth of God's Word. And that happens in the context of God's people. But we're all in process of having our consciences trained and aligned to the will of God. And this doesn't happen overnight. 
you don't show up at one of those awkward parties and instantly experience intimate fellowship with everyone. This takes patience. This takes time. And this takes bearing with people over time. Now, the frustrating thing about that is that we are not a patient people, are we? But this takes time. And if there is going to be any hope for living in harmony with one another here, here in this church, if there's going to be any hope for us in living in harmony with one another here, we will have to patiently bear with one another all the while having a certain mindset. What does he say that our mindset is to be here in Romans 15? He says, we are to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves, but instead let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Our strength and even our strong conscience on some things is not to be used to tear our brother or sister down That's the lie that we believe and that the entire world believes that in order to build ourselves up, we have to tear others down. No, that's not the way of Christ. Here we see that we are to use our strength. We are to use a strong conscience and a strong faith with a mind that is set on trying to please our neighbor for their good to build them up. And church, this is how life works best. When we are seeking the good of others and seeking to build them up. This is when marriage is at its best. When you are both seeking ways to please your spouse and build the other one up. This is when friendships are at their best. This is when a city group is at its best. People putting the needs of others before their own, seeking to build them up and please them. But if we're honest, many times we'd rather please ourselves. Oh, we'd rather please ourselves. And one of the ways we get pleasure when it comes to this, these matters of opinion and matters of conscience is that we take great pleasure in being right about something. And this is one of the biggest barriers to obeying what God commands us in Romans 14 and 15. God says we have an obligation to not please ourselves, but to please our neighbor, our neighbor, the ones who sometimes disagree with us and seek to build them up and not tear them down. And that sounds great. That sounds like the Christ-like thing to do. Probably we all agree with that. But here's the thing. I mean, I don't know about you, But what hinders me from actually obeying these commands is that actually I am right about this issue and my neighbor is wrong. And so I need first for them to acknowledge that I'm right and then we'll move on to this Christ-like love your neighbor stuff. Church, when it comes to matters of opinion, we are addicted We are addicted to the pleasure that comes from convincing ourselves that we are right. They have done studies about this. When you convince yourself that that you are right, you actually get a hit of dopamine. It's, it's It's a pleasurable, good feeling thing, and you become addicted to it. 
They, they've done studies, and they found that 93% of drivers believe they are above average drivers. And that people that drive faster than them are driving too fast, and people that are driving slower than them are driving too slow. What's happening there? We're using ourselves as the gold standard because who else would we use? Who else is right more than we are? And oh, we get so much pleasure from being right. We're addicted to it. I mean, there are some joyful Christians in the world who live every day just longing to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. They're longing to hear those words. But then there are other Christians who are much more miserable, and we are just longing for the day that our friends and families come to us and say those three magical words, you were right. (laughs) Wake up every day longing to hear those words. And listen, church, if those are the three words that you are waking up longing to hear, I'm not sure that there is hope for you to enjoy living in harmony with others in this life. Because when you are a I am right junkie, you do behave like someone who is addicted to a drug. You'll do anything to convince yourself that you are right so you can get that pleasurable, good feeling. You'll lie to yourself and to others. You'll steal. You'll slander. You'll break up families and churches. You'll forget and distort reality. You'll do anything to convince yourselves that you are right. And why? Because it feels good. It's, it's, it's pleasing to yourself to be right. And this is why people, they, they seek out certain news channels and books and podcasts not to really learn new information. They go and try to find someone who will agree with them so they can convince and confirm that they are right. There is no hope for living in harmony with others if you are all about seeking the pleasure that comes from being right and your neighbor being wrong. But God's word, it does give us hope for harmony. Because what have we already learned in Romans? In Romans 3, I know this was a while ago since we preached on it, but in Romans 3 we learned that none is righteous, no, not one. That no one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Not even one. When I worked in the medical field, I remember one of the most humble and honest doctors I knew, as I was reading a medical textbook, looked at the book and said, hey, uh, half of what's in there is probably not right. We just don't know which half yet. Now, not to cause you to, to be concerned about the medical care you're getting, but I mean, every year, new additions and new textbooks are coming out, and it's like, we used to tell you to do this, but now we found out you'll grow a third arm if you do that. So don't do that. Now do this. And we think it's probably right, but we don't really know for sure. We'll see. And you know what, church? For those of us who've trusted Christ for our life and salvation, oh, we have the indwelling Holy, of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We are being made more and more like Christ. But I think I'd go as far as to say half of what is going on in your heart is still not right. Still not right. And the Holy Spirit is 
tilling it up and he's showing us over time the parts that aren't, are not right and need to be confessed and turned from and aligned with his will. The Lord is patiently showing us the parts of our heart where sin still needs to be confessed and turned from and cleansed and healed. If we are to have any hope for harmony in this life, we must hear God's word and stop chasing the pleasure of being right, but instead embrace the fact that many, many, many times we have been wrong. And Jesus is the only perfectly right one. And while there's probably a lot I would disagree with uh, Thomas Merton on, I would agree with him when he says this. He says, a saint is not someone who is good, but someone who experiences the goodness of God. Sadly, people who think that they are always right and people who think that they are pretty good compared to the person sitting next to them, these people miss out on experiencing the goodness of God. They miss out on the joy of living in harmony with their brothers and sisters. But take heart, church. God's word gives us hope for harmony. Look at verses 3 and 4, because in these verses we see that both the incarnate word and the inspired word of God give us hope for harmony. The incarnate word, the, the, the word of God put on flesh, and the inspired word both give us hope for harmony. Look at verse 3. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Verse 3 is a, a quote from Psalm 69. For Christ is the fulfillment of all the scriptures. The law, the prophets, the Psalms are all pointing to him. And here we are reminded that Jesus Christ, the word of God who put on flesh, he was willing to suffer and be insulted and be reviled and disgraced for the Father and for us. The second person of the Trinity willingly went and suffered the insults of those who hated God but thought they were right about it. He willingly suffered and he suffered in our place and it was a death and it was the wrath that we in our sin deserve to suffer. Christ took our sins. He took all our wrongs. He took all the times we were wrong and we thought we were right. He took all the times we were right but acted wrongly about it. And he took them upon himself and he went to the cross. And people spit on him and beat him and whipped him and crucified him. And the wrath of God was poured out on him. He willingly allowed himself to be treated like a convicted criminal. Even though he was the only person to walk on the earth that has been right about everything. There was no accusation or reviling that was shouted at Christ that was true. I mean, when people, when people are critical of you, and when people hate you and insult you, 
and um, offend you. I mean, they might not be completely right, but they do have a point. There's usually at least a little bit of truth to that, right? Anytime any of us receive criticism or anything like that, I mean, yeah, it's not to say that person is always completely right, but if you're honest with yourself, if you're humble enough to receive that, you could say, yeah, that's, you, you do have a point. And for those that are really honest, you could say, you don't even know the half of it, man. It's way worse than what you just called me out for. There will be no hope for harmony for you if you only think of people as those who are right and those who are wrong. No, but there is hope when you see Jesus Christ and we read the scriptures that all point to him and we see, oh, he's the right one and we're all the wrong ones. And he's invited us all. He's invited all of us undeserving people to his party anyway. Do you see the the hope that the word of God brings us? You look to Christ and you read the scriptures and they instruct us and they encourage us and they provide us the patient perseverance and endurance that we need. And they give us hope because all the scriptures are pointing us to Christ. And when we look to Christ, we see one of the most wonderful and one of the most freeing truths that there is. And that is that we do not need to be the hero of our story. You don't have to be the hero of your story. We miss out on the joy of living in harmony with one another when we're all trying to convince one another and ourselves that we are the hero of the story. Church, you are not the hero. And I know that's humbling, but it produces great joy to receive that. It is so freeing, because it, 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 and it brings the hope of being able to live in harmony with one another when we are freed from having to be the hero of our story. You are not the hero. You were a part of that no-one-is-righteous group of people. You were a part of the rebel-against-God people. Your sin was so bad that it took nothing less than God himself coming and spilling blood on your behalf. And if you live your entire life trying to be the hero of your story, there will be a tragic ending for you. Oh, but look to Jesus and see that he is the hero of the story. God's word gives us hope for harmony. We have hope for living in harmony with one another when we are living with the recognition that Jesus is the hero. We no longer have to pretend and perform. We no longer have to defend ourselves or or justify ourselves. But no, we can point one another to the hero of our story. And we know that one day when he returns, we will experience the full expression of living in harmony with one another. but can't we start to enjoy now what we will experience then? Can't we start to enjoy now what we will experience then? Is it, is it worth striving towards that end? 
I mean, really, is it worth it? Many of you know it's not easy to bear with one another. It's not easy to seek our neighbor's pleasure instead of our own. Those meetings and conversations about matters of conscience and opinion and things that people have very strong opinions on, I mean, some of those are painful. Wouldn't it just be easier to be a part of a church of five people who agreed on everything? Is this really worth it? And we have to answer that before we leave here this morning, church. Look with me now at verse 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. What great truths we learn about God here. He is the God of endurance, meaning he is the God who patiently perseveres with us. It's good news. We should probably all stop and reflect and maybe even just worship the Lord for the ways he has patiently persevered with us. He's the God of endurance. He's the source of endurance. If you want to patiently persevere with others, you must keep going back to the source of patient perseverance. He is also the God of encouragement, meaning he's the God who comes alongside of us and comforts us. And strengthens us. And he does not do this from a distance, but he has come near and he has put his arm around us and he's encouraged us and he's walking with us. He's the God of encouragement. He is the source of all encouragement. If you want to encourage others, you must keep going back to the source of your encouragement. He's the God of endurance, the God of encouragement. And this great God, he desires us to live in harmony with one another. Now, this means that we are to experience and enjoy Christian unity. Most literally, to be like-minded. But this does not necessarily mean that we must think the exact same thing about every matter of conscience, but that we are to be like-minded in what we think and believe about Jesus. Because look at what the Word says. It says, live in harmony in accord with Christ Jesus. And this living in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ, this actually is not something that we necessarily strive for to attain. But instead, here it says that this is a gift that he has given to us. He grants it to us. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm really drawn to that word for some reason. He grants it to us. That, that, yes, that was a joke. And if we're going to live in harmony with one another, I can't always be telling you when I've made a joke. You're just going to have to start picking that up, okay? But he grants it to us. What? He grants it to us? That's a word for, it's like, it's, he has granted to us to live in such harmony with one another. It's a gift. It's a gift. 
And this is a gift, you see, because Christian unity and living in harmony with one another is built upon and based upon our justification in Christ. Because what does verse 7 say? Look with me. What does verse 7 say? It says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Remember that whole first part of Romans that we preached through. Remember your justification and now welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. God has welcomed us. God has declared us right with him all by grace through faith in Christ. Therefore, welcome one another and extend grace to them all the while we are all trusting Christ. God showed grace to you and extended forgiveness to you, not when you were right about everything, but when you were wrong about most things. And he welcomed us, showed grace to us, forgave us. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. Oh, church, living in harmony with one another, it is, it is a gift from God that one, we will one day experience it fully when Christ returns, but we have the opportunity currently, today, to open and enjoy this gift and start to enjoy now what we will fully experience then. This is a part of what it means to live in the already not yet kingdom of Christ, a kingdom that is already here but not yet fully realized and won't be until his return. But we can start opening and enjoying this gift now. We can start enjoying living in harmony with one another right now. Contrary to what your past church experience might tell you, we actually don't have to fight it out amongst one another until he returns. <laughs> He's not picking citizens for the kingdom like, from, like cage match style, like only five of us are getting out of this place. We're going to fight it out, see what happens. No, we can start enjoying living in harmony with one another right now. But it must rest upon the foundation that we have been justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And when we forget how we came to be declared right with God, when you forget how you came to be declared right with God, disunity will soon follow because unity and living in harmony with one another are only truly experienced in Christ. And they're only built upon the foundation of justification in him by grace alone through faith alone. You see, when we forget how we were justified, we start to live like we must justify ourselves. This is where all the problems, the disunity start coming in. And when we, live like, when, when we live like we must justify ourselves, then every issue, every matter of opinion, every disagreement, it becomes a life or death situation to us. We feel like we must defend ourselves and our, justify ourselves or else we might not be right with God. I mean, if we're wrong about this one little thing, I mean, we might be wrong about it all. And then we might not be justified. And when that kind of thinking takes hold of our minds, 
we develop a, a Christian version of the yips. You guys familiar with the yips? No? It's, it's a sports psychology thing. This, this happens when highly trained athletes all of a sudden lose their ability to do something that they used to be able to do in their sleep. I believe it happened to uh, Simone Biles in the last Olympics, training her whole life for the Olympics. She forgets how to do a cartwheel or a somersault or something. You know, it's like, she's just like, she freezes. She can't do it. It happened to the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys kicker this last year in, uh, in an important game. He missed four extra points in a row. And we're watching this just really hurting for him, like, oh, praying, Lord, help him make the next one. And he just keeps missing them. On an unrelated note, those of you that have businesses, if you're looking to hire a former NFL kicker, uh, he might be available, okay? But when, when someone gets the yips, what is happening is that they start overthinking, overanalyzing, and putting so much pressure on this one thing that they freeze up and you lose your ability to just do the basics. And this can happen in the life of a Christian. When you forget that you have been justified by God's grace through faith in Christ, you start feeling the need to justify yourself in all these matters of conscience and opinion that you have, and you get the yips. You, you, you start losing, you start forgetting what the basics, what it, what it means to be a Christian. You get all fired up on an issue that Scripture does not clearly forbid or command, and you have such a strong opinion on it, and you believe that all believers throughout all history and all cultures should agree that you are right on this one thing. And if, and if listen, if you're in that moment, if you don't preach to yourself the gospel every day, if you don't remember how you came to be justified by God, you will put so much pressure on that one non-essential issue that like the yips, you will lose track of the basics of Christianity. You'll forget the basics. You'll forget like things like loving God and loving others. You'll just you'll lose. You won't even know what that is. You'll you'll lose the basics of forgiving others if you've been as you've been forgiven, and not letting the sun go down on your anger, and the regular rhythm of confessing sin and receiving forgiveness. And spending time in the word and in prayer and in serving others and in glorifying God and enjoying him forever. The, the, the basics, the things that scripture makes clear that we are supposed to do. No, instead you've got this one thing that you're going to put all pressure, all your analysis, all your thinking on this one thing. You're going to put your entire life and salvation on being right about this one thing. And the saddest thing about that is you're probably doing that because you feel like you must defend and justify yourself because you are not remembering and enjoying your justification and all the grace that God chose to shower you with. God didn't justify you when you got it right. He justified you when he graciously opened your eyes to see all the ways you were so wrong. And that Jesus is the only right one. If you forget your justification, you will spend your life defending and justifying yourself to yourself. And you will miss out 
on enjoying and experiencing the goodness of God and the, the joy and living in harmony with his people. But we can still get stuck on this question of, is it worth it? Is it worth extending the grace Extending grace to patiently bear with one another and work through differing opinions and matters of conscience. I mean, is it really, is it worth it? Does my brother or sister sitting next to me really deserve that? Are they worthy of that? Is it worth it? And really, in light of how verse 7 ends, we can conclude that we've been asking the wrong question. I'll take responsibility for that since I'm the one that wrote the sermon. But we've been asking the wrong question. Look at the end of verse 7. Why are we encouraged by the God of encouragement to unwrap and enjoy the gift of living in harmony with one another? To what end? For what purpose? What motivating goal do we have? Look at the end of verse 7. Why are we to live in harmony with one another? It says, for the glory of God. For the glory of God. It's, it's all for his honor and majesty and fame. And so really the question of is it worth it or is my brother or sister worthy of it? Are they deserving of it? Is all this worth it? Those are irrelevant questions for a Christian. The only question we must ask is, is he worth it? Is he worthy of it? Is he worthy to receive all glory and majesty and fame and renown? Cue the, the Andrew Peterson song, Is He Worth It? Is, is, is He Worthy? I'm just kidding. We don't have that queued up. But it's a wonderful song. Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? Is He Worthy? Spoiler alert if you haven't heard the song. He is. He is. He is worthy, church. And so when we consider matters of conscience and differing opinions, we bear with one another. We live in harmony with one another. We welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us, extending grace and forgiveness to one another. And we do that because he is worthy of the glory he receives when his people honor him in this way. And so when you enter into a discussion or seek to resolve a conflict between brothers, the ultimate question is not, are they worthy of this? Are they deserving of this? Because they're not. And neither are you. But he is. He is worthy of it. Think back to those awkward parties with people from all different circles and walks of life. Now, in all honesty, those parties actually aren't that bad. They just start out slow, but then the momentum builds. And conversations and interactions really start going somewhere when you remember that you were all invited by the same person and you all love the same person. And then what happens? You start, you start talking about one another's experiences with this person. You start hearing stories about this person that you didn't know about. You never, you never knew about that, what they used to do on, on, on Thursday nights back in college with those people. And after hearing these things, man, you now love them even more. And that's the moment when the party really starts to harmonize because now, hey, I still don't know you really well, 
but we have a common love. And we were invited by the same person, each for a specific purpose. And, oh, church, you see, this is our story. This is our story. This is the story of the church. People from all different backgrounds and cultures and past experiences who didn't have a whole lot in common with one another until this. And now, by grace through faith in Christ, we've been invited to come together and feast and celebrate Him. And so, church, the Word does give us hope for harmony. And God desires us to start enjoying now this gift that we will one day fully experience. And so let us bear with one another with differing opinions. Let us not forget our justification and by doing so seek to justify and defend ourselves. And may we enjoy living in harmony with one another. Not because you deserve it or because I deserve it, but because we love Jesus and he deserves it. Let's pray.